0: This is Come and See from St. Andrews Anglican Church for July 15th, 2012. The gospel is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. The message is by Father Rick Bowser. Good morning, St. Andrews. Sometimes <laughs> I get a Father Rick in there. Yeah. Are you ready for the sermon? Kinda like Monday Night Football, you know. It's only July. Um, I just want to take a minute to mention that uh, twelve members of my family are here with us this morning, and I just the Nicholson's and the Singleton's. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but you can hook up with them. You'll realize they're the ones you don't know. You know, it's a nice thing about um, the liturgy is that it's predictable. We like predictability. The sermon, the homily, comes right after the gospel, right before the Nicene Creed, every Sunday, everywhere in the world. We like things when they fit. And usually the homily or the gospel um, is, is a sermon on the gospel. In this case, it would be Mark chapter 6, the beheading of John the Baptist. And I'm going to skip that. Instead, I want to focus on um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And I want to read it for you, but I want to paraphrase it for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Just as God the Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before God the Father in love. God the Father predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto Him self, according to the kind intention of God the Father's will, the praise and glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us, the beloved. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God the Father's grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God the Father made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in Jesus the Christ. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Jesus Christ things in the heavens, things upon the earth, things in him. With a view um, to the administration, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to God the Father's purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his own will. To the end that we, who were the first hope in Jesus, should be to the praise of God's glory. In Jesus the Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Jesus and the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, I read that in a paraphrase because I wanted to emphasize the fact that Jesus is mentioned 11 times in those verses. And I mentioned that. That Jesus was mentioned, uh, was mentioned 11 times, because I was wondering,, <clears throat> when was the last time you thought about Jesus? Perhaps you might say, well, I talk to him every day. He's a part of my everyday conversation. I share everything with him. Or maybe you haven't thought about Jesus since last Sunday between the gospel. And the Nicene Creed. I've titled this sermon "The Essential Jesus." The essential Jesus. You see, for the last two thousand years, no one person has been more talked or written about than Jesus. Maybe even the history of the world. According to a published report in December of 2011, the number of Christians that is the followers of Jesus Christ now number over 2 billion. In other words, over a third of the world's population claim to be followers of Jesus the Christ. Now, the bulk of those are found in Central and South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, the Asian Pacific Rim. But for all the last 2,000 years, the talk about has been the biblical Jesus, the historical Jesus, the political Jesus. And ironically, did you know that most of the Jewish people live today don't even know that Jesus was Jewish. Now, all that information about Jesus is kind of interesting, maybe even fascinating. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen Jesus? I mean actually seen him. According to the historical documents and eyewitness reports we have, he's evidently not dead. He was buried, but he was bodily resurrected, and his body did not return to dust. Matter of fact, every year on Easter Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection. We go back over the eyewitness reports over his bodily resurrection. We say every Sunday that we believe he is alive. And according to the Nicene Creed, that he sits at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. But is that it? He just sits there waiting for all this down here to play out? Then he's going to come back and be our judge? I want to read a story for you. And I know... That, um, they teach us in preaching class not to read stories from the pulpit. Because, um, you're going to fall asleep on me. But, I'm of the opinion that people do like stories read as long as they're not boring. I'm going to try not to bore you. I had felt this way for days, but wasn't allowing myself to actually experience the discomfort. I was in a car heading somewhere on the freeway when I finally allowed myself to realize that I was in a funk. Funk is when you feel that nagging, emotional discomfort, and you can't seem to shake it or ultimately ignore it. We have so many emotional defenses that keep us from feeling this discomfort that when we actually feel the funk, the defenses aren't working very well. When I drive my car, it has a certain relaxing effect, assuming there's minimal traffic. Right, kids? Yeah. They know how I am with traffic. I'm able to think about things I haven't had, uh, had time to think about otherwise, and this day I found myself in a funk. Being a counselor and one who teaches others about emotional intelligence, I summoned my ability of introspection and looking at the events of the past 24 to 48 hours, hoping to find what had triggered me into this funk. In the past, I've found a repressed anger, maybe caused by a grocery cashier being curt or obnoxious. Or usually if some, I usually think of some sort of witty rebuttal, and I feel better. Three hours later, you know how that works. Sometimes it's a story from a counselee that triggers some of my own issues, which are unresolved. And this time, however, I couldn't find any triggers. For a time, I was resigned to my funk thinking of, this too shall pass. Then it dawned on me, while I didn't know why I felt the way I did, my creator, who knows my thoughts thoughts from afar off, according to Psalm 139, that he did know, so why didn't I ask him? So I did. It was only a few seconds before I found myself in a memory I hadn't thought about in maybe 30 years. It was Thanksgiving vacation, and I was in the seventh grade. My family had made a pilgrimage to the homestead my grandfather had built in Pennsylvania. It was a big red brick house set on a hill. you've never been to Pennsylvania, everything's on a hill. And I was down below the house on a cinder road, tossing a football with my cousin, and in a moment I knew why the Holy Spirit had taken me back there. Because I remember exactly what I had felt that day. And it was the same feeling I was currently having in my car and causing my phone. Just before leaving on Thanksgiving break, one of my teachers had assigned a paper that was due when I returned. Being passive aggressive, I had forgotten to bring the information I needed to do the paper. So as I threw the football with my cousin, I was dreading my return to class without my paper. Then I asked the Lord to reveal himself in my memory, and when I looked up, I saw him. Jesus, sitting on the hill just below the house, watching my cousin and me throw a football. I'm always happy and surprised to see Jesus in my memories, and I know that perhaps many of you don't believe it was actually Jesus, whom I saw, but it was. But you see, I'm one of his sheep, and I both know his voice, and I recognize his presence. And he was wearing a long, bright robe. He had long, flowing hair and a beard. And he was leaning back, holding one of his knees and relaxing as if he was just watching a ball game at a picnic. And I looked up and I said, Jesus, what are you doing here? He answered, he said, that he was watching me throw to football. Being surprised that he would take time to just watch me throw a football, I asked him why. His body posture changed. And he leaned toward me with a somewhat serious look on his face, and he says, you need to understand something. He said, I created you with the ability and the desire to throw a football, and I'm enjoying watching you do what I created you to do. Wow. That thought had absolutely never occurred to me that Jesus would be interested enough to sit and watch me merely toss a football, and that this was the way he made me. However, I still had a problem, and I looked back at Jesus and decided to share what I was feeling. And I said, yeah, Jesus, I said, but what about the paper? Jesus just shrugged his shoulders and looked at me, and he said, wasn't my idea. (laughs) Wow. Jesus, the creator of the universe, was more watching me throw a football than write a paper. I knew then that he was speaking to my current circumstance. The funk I was experienced was triggered by doing all the things I had to do, seldom having time to do the things I wanted to do. Jesus reminded me that it was important to pursue the interest and talents he had created into me. And furthermore, he was giving me permission to do just that. Now, most of the researchers who study what they call religious transpersonal events, because that's what I just had, they call it religious transpersonal events because evidently there's a lot of them and a lot of people have them, and enough to do research on that. And they say that what happened to me was culturally shaped. That because I was raised a Christian, if I had a transpersonal experience, then it, I would see a Christian deity Jesus. If I'd been raised Hindu, I would have probably seen a Hindu deity on that hill. If I'd have been raised Islamic, it'd probably have been an Islamic deity, and so on. I'm so that I'm culturally shaped to see and experience the cultural de- Jesus in the, the cultural Jesus deity in this transpersonal religious experience, which fits most scientific materialistic worldviews, that there might be something out there, but probably it's a project, projection of your own culturally shaped mind. Let me introduce you a friend of mine. Name is Sean Tarter. And forgive me, Sean, if you're listening to this, I won't get all your bona fides exactly right, but I think you all get the picture. Sean is the professor of economics at William and Mary. He's a scientist and an acknowledged world expert in math and especially quantum physics, mechanics. A number of years ago, Sean's uncle won a Nobel Prize but chose not to accept it, and instead go to Africa and teach. As a matter of fact, Nobel Prize winners are his circle of friends, and they come to him with their theories to, as Sean puts it, check the map. Seven years ago, Sean died. And he was clinically dead for some time before he came back here. At the time of his death, Sean didn't consider himself to be a Christian. He wasn't raised as a churchgoer, and he probably wouldn't, he would probably fit more into the category of a secularist or secular humanist. John had what we call a life after death experience. Or as Paul last week in 1 Corinthians called it, an out of body experience. And as Sean tells it, you know the whole tunnel and light thing? <clears throat> well, it's true. But what they don't tell you is that beyond the tunnel and the light, there's a chasm. A huge, great gulf of a chasm. On the other side of that chasm is heaven for God. He said, when you get there, they're, they're synonymous. Now, John was raised as secular, so one might wonder what deity he would encounter in his out-of-body, transpersonal religious experience. And for all intents and purposes, this is one of the mother of all transpersonal religious experiences. So who did he encounter? What deity? Was it Isaac Newton? Aristotle? Descartes? Maybe even Albert Einstein? John said, it's difficult to describe. There were many of us there at the edge of that great gulf. There's this chasm, and you're being drawn across this chasm. You're being drawn toward heaven and God. However, as you move toward God, there seems to be this sense, there is this overwhelming sense of being alien. And that was his word, alien. And as you move closer to God, the more alien you feel. He said, it's nothing short of terrifying. He said, and then you see him. You see Jesus. He said, and you know instantly who he is. and you also know he's all you got. There's you. There's the chasm. There's God in heaven. There's only one way there. Jesus. John said later upon reflection after being back in my body, I thought about all the religions of the world and all the deities. He said, I can tell you when you get through the tunnel, and you pass through the light, and you're confronted with a chasm in God in heaven, all those deities, they're not there. There's not many paths to God. There's not many ways to heaven. There's only one. Jesus, the Christ. As I talked to Sean. I was more interested kind of in comparing notes. So I asked Sean, uh, "Can you describe jesus i mean i 've seen him, so i 'm just wondering what you saw. you know he said he had on a long, bright robe he had, he had long, flowing hair and a beard. He said and when he talked, it was very simple and straightforward and matter of fact, and he spoke to me in English, although he suspected he was bilingual And I knew in my spirit that he had seen Jesus because it was the same guy I saw on the hill in Pennsylvania. I also began to understand the whole business with the fig leaves and the nakedness in Genesis. Read. Alien. I began to understand the terrifying smoking mountains and the need for intermediaries of priests and prophets. Read. Alien. Began to understand the effects of the fall and the need for a sacrifice. Read, alien, and Jesus. This is the good news. And I began to understand the mystery Paul talks about in Ephesians. Imagine being a first century Jew without two thousand years of Jesus. Related to God through priests and prophets and sacrifices in the temple system with the promise of a Messiah. To do what? To free them from the Roman oppression, to give their country back to them, to explain all this to them? You see, we get caught up in what's going on down here. Our circumstances, our histories, our jobs, our family. So where in all that does Jesus fit Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Read the other side of the chasm. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before God in love, read not alien.